Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-Be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and as we continue with our nutrition and nourishment series, today we're going to be diving deep into the plant realm to talk about how herbs can support you during pregnancy and postpartum. Now, herbs are amazing micronutrient powerhouses. They can support your immune system, your nervous system, your endocrine system, But I get that it can be difficult figuring out where to start, especially when there are so many conflicting messages out there about what is safe to consume when during the perinatal period. This is exactly why I reached out to Kathleen Maniello to help us sort out how to approach these plants so that you can tap into what works for you. Kathleen is a very knowledgeable herbal educator, as well as a professional childbirth consultant, family advocate, innate postpartum care provider, and I am lucky to have her as part of my village. She and I are going to be talking about what herbs can help with your nourishment during pregnancy and with your recovery during postpartum. We're also going to be talking about what place these powerful plants may or may not have in cases of inductions, in the prevention of being group B strep positive as well as dealing with nausea, constipation, and supporting lactation. So yeah, we're going to be covering a whole lot today. As always, when dealing with recommendations of things to ingest while pregnant or body feeding, make sure you bring your care provider into the conversation as we do not know all the particulars of your situation and are only providing general information because what is right for most may not be right for all. Kathleen was also very gracious in providing a couple of handouts that you can download from the show notes of this episode at birthful.com. And last two things, I wanted to say that since we spoke, Kathleen has completed her certification with Aviva Ram. Go Kathleen. And I also wanted to give you a quick glossary of some of the terms that we use and define through the episode because it's worth having you warm up to them first. So the first one is amenagogues, which are herbs that can stimulate blood flow into the pelvic and uterus and can bring on menstruation. Teratogenics are chemicals that disturb the development of the embryo or cause deformities in the fetus. Abortifacients are substances that can induce or complete a miscarriage. And nervines are herbs that nourish and support the central nervous system. So they restore balance and bring restfulness. Okay, with that out of the way, you're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Kathleen. It is so lovely to have you here today. Hi, Adriana. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) And um, so uh, full disclosure, Kathleen lives in Rochester, New York, and we're good friends. She's a doula. And so we hang out. So this recorded conversation is going to be interesting because we're used to just chatting. So I guess we'll do a bit of that, right? Sure. Yeah, I would love to chat. And usually that's how some of the good stuff comes out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, to begin, I think uh, my my highest credential is being a mother of three. And then I began 
my herbal exploration as a as actually a Montessori teacher in Michigan. I had an assistant who was uh, an herbalist and really turned me on to it. So that was years ago. I started this journey, uh, life exploration of plants and uh, our birthright, uh, according to plants too. And then years went on, some midwife friend of mine said, you'd be a good doula. So I uh, looked into what a doula was and uh, decided that would be good for me. So I got my donor certification, and then I went on to receive my holistic doula certification with WAPIO. I did my first herbal apprenticeship at Heartstone Herbal Academy. It's now called Heartstone Center for Earth's Essentials. Uh, amazing teachers, Chris Miller and Tammy Sweet. Tammy Sweet is by far my favorite A&P teacher ever, and she has stuff online. You should check her out. Uh, little plugs here. <laughs> and then just learning from different herbalists uh, throughout the years and now currently working through Aviva Ram's Herbal Medicine for Women course, which I found is uh, very enlightening and life-changing and requires a lot of discipline, but I'm happy about it. <laughs> so that's where we're at now. So a lot of different perspectives into herbs and specifically the work that's required for postpartum and birth and and all that change of pregnancy in that that fun stage of life that we that love so much. Stage. <laughs> yeah, where it's so fluid and everything's happening and changes happen so quickly. Yeah. And one of the things that why I was so excited to have you here to talk about herbs is because during pregnancy there is so so much caution and limitations into what a pregnant person can use for their health in terms of medicines, medications to to ingest, and then herbs as well. And some people say, stay away from these teas and stay away from this and or use that. And I'd love to get your perspective into how should people approach the use of herbs during this time of pregnancy and postpartum? Okay, well, to begin, I just want to say that in our culture, we are very conservative with the use of herbs. Um, in several other cultures, there's uh, food-grade herbs that people just use every day. It's not so much of a, a conflict or confusion. Um, but in our culture, the general population is wary about herbs because I think there's not a lot of uh, actual double-blind scientific studies done on the use of herbs and their effects on uh, specifically pregnancy. So the general rule is to avoid them, especially during the first trimester, just unless it's medically indicated to not ingest herbs at all. You know, that being said, with the not a whole lot of scientific research, there's even pharmaceuticals that would fall into that category that people still choose to take and uh, put into their bodies. So it's really a personal choice, too, on what you feel is safer and effective for you. You know, and doing your research uh, makes a big deal. So, you, you know, there's a, it's a huge rabbit hole to go down, actually. And a lot of the fear, too, I think, surrounding the use of herbs is based on studies that have isolated particular constituent of a plant, an isolated compound, and then they've applied that in very large amounts and found adverse reactions. So chamomile is an example of that, which is a very gentle herb. and uh, in 1979, they did a study where they isolated particular compounds and applied large doses to rats, uterine tissue, pregnant rats. And um, 
they found they had teratogenic effects. Now, this is a very gentle herb, and you could never drink enough tea to match those doses of this isolated compound. So we also, when we look at using herbs, look at using the whole plant as medicine and, and what that means, because there's so much to a plant where they play off each other and um, the different constituents in it help each other. So, you know, we need to keep that in mind as well. So generally, if you want to play it really safe, no herbs in the first trimester, but then uh, getting into your second and third uh, herbs are very safe, but there are also categories of that, you know, so there are certain ones you definitely want to avoid and certain ones that you might really want to invite into your life. So can we talk about what those are? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so where do you want to start with no's yeah. or yeses? Let's go with yeses. So yeses. So I make a tea called Everybody Needs This Tea because it's good for everyone. But I really uh, had pregnant people in mind because that's who I work with the most. And it was a, an assignment in herb school. And, and it has nettle, which is an amazing plant. I love nettle. I cannot sing its praises enough. And uh, it has red raspberry leaf, chamomile, rose hips, oat straw, and spearmint or peppermint. So starting with nettle, it has the alphabet of vitamins and minerals and, and including iron, which a lot of women experience iron deficiency during pregnancy. And this is one good way to increase your iron intake in an absorbable way. And I also got to say, I love teas because there's a ritual involved in it that gets you involved in your medicine and, and builds a relationship with them. And um, it also gets you hydrated, which we need. And makes you slow down a bit too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is absolutely needed in pregnancy. So nettle is very nourishing and should be added in, I think, to a diet. It tastes a little bit like spinach. So if you need a flavoring agent, that's fine. So that's why I put this tea together. And red raspberry leaf, it tones the uterus and reproductive organs, not just for women, but for men as well. So Red, red raspberry leaf is good for everybody and, unless you have a particular aversion to it. Um, and it also has, is loaded with vitamins and minerals um, and including iron. And then also in the tea is chamomile, which is a nervine. So it helps us to relax. It helps us to slow down, like we were talking about, and balances our anxieties in which we all experience a lot during pregnancy. So I would say absolutely use chamomile. And again, you can't use enough of it to be harmful. And uh, rose hips are in it, which contain vitamin C. Um, it's one way to help boost your immune system, which is one of the best ways to maintain a healthy pregnancy when you're dealing with uh, UTIs or you know the possible consequences of just having your body squished and then being tested for things like GBS. You know, so that helps along with that. And oat straw is another nervine, which, you know, I can't emphasize enough to anybody in our culture in general, but to pregnant women as well, that we need to chill out and find ways to do that. And herbs are very, very useful for that. And then if you're experiencing nausea in pregnancy, adding peppermint to your blend just a little bit. And, and we want to take it easy on the peppermint. It does contain volatile oils that can cross the placental barrier, but small amounts are fine. And it does help with 
the nausea, if that's something that you're experiencing. So that's like a, an, in a nutshell, and there's so many other herbs too that are safe and are yeses. But if you are going to, you know, use something to help you be nourished and, and feel well during pregnancy, that would be a good little encapsulated uh, start. And I think that I was just going to ask you about the concept of nourishment. And you just mentioned to keep you nourished because we think of herbs as something to help us to combat something like nausea or to help us relax. But this concept that our herbs can also give us nourishment, like you were saying with the nettle, of iron and different vitamins and red raspberry leaf tea. Talk to me a little bit about this concept of having herbs as more more nourishment in your day-to-day. Well, prevention is our best medicine. So a lot of the ailments and things we experience are because our body hasn't gotten what it needed. And in pregnancy, that becomes increasingly so because you need a lot more to support this other life that you're carrying. So finding ways to proactively give your body uh, things to work with, things that will help you feel healthy, things that will help you form building blocks of life. You know, that's nourishing. That's, and, and also things that will help you to be calm and relaxed. That's nourishing. That's helping you to be healthy. So does that answer? Yeah. And I think it, it goes back to the why. Why would we want to use herbs? And it's just another alternative. I think during pregnancy, we talk a lot about nutrition and the importance of eating well. But I think it's something that's being discovered more now, the importance of the micronutrients, not just your big ones of proteins and carbs, and but, you know, little things like choline and iron. And so the fact that that opens a huge door to being able to use herbs to support that, I find fascinating. And something as simple as a tea and using herbs in that way and having that relationship with the plants and not just have it be exclusive to taking a supplement, for example. Right. And, you know, Michael Pollan, he cited in his in defensive food that we're the only species on the planet that has to ask, what do we eat? And I think that before we had to ask that question, herbs and plants were just a general part of the diet. They, there wasn't a thought about, is this okay? Should I eat this? <laughs> you know, um, it was just kind of what was available and what, what people did. So it was just kind of folded in anyway. And so now we have to make a conscious effort to reach out for the plants because they're also not something that is provided to you, say, on your plate, right? So not necessarily a part of, of the diet. So why herbs? Why consciously think about putting them in? Because, you know, they naturally have a benefit to you. And these are things that women for centuries, millennia, have used and have found effective and um, helped them. So this is, this is part of you being a person on the planet. Yeah. And I think it does go back to this idea that we've, with birth, with breastfeeding and with herbs, we've lost the knowledge along the way that was just embedded into our day-to-day realities. And then we have to make such big efforts to learn about it. Like breastfeeding, people would see breastfeeding happen just normally around them all the time. And that's the best way to learn and see about the struggles and how other people support the breastfeeding person. So now we have to make efforts to create that. Same thing with birth. 
you know, how many of us, including myself, had never seen a birth before giving birth themselves, right? Right. And then I have a different approach with plants, and it's very, it's very romanticized and it's very nostalgic for me because, me. well, having grown up in Venezuela, my nana, who I learned to cook from just by sitting and watching her cook day in, day out. I would spend so much time in that kitchen. But she also had a, a normal, natural, sort of intuitive relationship with plants from the knowledge passed down through generations. So every time something happens in my house, I have the reminder of her words in my mind telling me like what to do. And so aloe plants were a constant around our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we would eat like for upset stomachs, and also being in this tropical reality of Venezuela, uh, the seeds of the papaya fruit, you don't chew them, you just like swallow them. They're great for helping digestion and balancing. So to me, like that's the most natural thing. If my if my stomach's kind of not doing so well, I'm like, I'm going to buy a papaya and have some seeds. And of course, my <laughs> husband looks at me like, what the, <laughs> right? Whole plant medicine. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are we talked about some of the things that could be really helpful for anybody? What are some things to stay away from during pregnancy? Well, just to wrap up the yeses too, I want to I want to say that culinary uses are generally okay, right? So like if a turmeric is you find that on a contraindicated list, but you want to use a little bit when you're scrambling your eggs, it's not a, really a concern. So the same with sage, there's a lot of things you'll find like that. But also please source your herbs well, because that's another, uh, uh, that's a yes and a no. Please, yes, organically. Please, yes, good sourcing to avoid contamination. Don't just, the no is to, to not just willy-nilly get any possible herb that, you know, oh, this will be good for me. You know, know where it comes from. So on that note, the mm-hmm. no's, <laughs> and, and again, there's a long list and there are varying degrees of no's. So some plants like Arnica, and comfrey are okay for topical use, right? And golden seal for topical or a suppository use, but you would not want to ingest them during pregnancy. And I generally say don't ingest those necessarily at all. There's a lot of other things <laughs> you can do. So a very clear no list though that I could to absolutely avoid during pregnancy is blue cohosh, cat's claw, Jamaican dogwood, pennyroyal, poke, tansy, wormwood, black walnut, Thuja, cotton root, rue, red clover. So most stimulating laxatives, anything that's teratogenic, any amenagogues and abortifacients, toxic herbs, and high alkaloid contents. So all of those can have consequences. So some of the language there, we all know what a laxative is, I think, something that moves the bowel. So a stimulating laxative can cause also contractions in the uterus. And so you want to avoid that during pregnancy, of course. Uh, and teratogens are chemicals that cause deformities in uh, developing fetuses. So there are herbs that have fallen into that category, like the isolated compound of, of chamomile that we talked about earlier, but well, there are ones like thuja that are much more serious. So absolutely avoid that. Amenagogues, are plants that will bring on your blood. So they, like feverfew, which you are now familiar with, if you were taking that for a migraine cure or a headache cure prior to pregnancy, it is something you would want to stop because it does have amenagogic effects and can cause 
potentially cause miscarriage. Uh, abortifacients are herbs that in the past have been deliberately used to complete a miscarriage or to bring on a cycle. And you would definitely want to avoid anything like that. So abortifacients like wormwood, that's really, and pennyroyal. And you don't see a lot of pennyroyal around anymore. It's gotten a really bad rap because some people died from just using, ingesting the oils of it. But the leaves, you know, are, are generally safe outside of pregnancy, but you just don't see a lot of it anymore anyway. Well, and if of the list of things that you named, like the only one that I recognized was red clover. Tuja I've heard, but the only one that I'd say I've, I've ever come across where it was like, oh, I'll drink this tea was red clover. You don't find very much of like Tuja tea out there. Right. And it, you don't. You have to. Those are things you probably would be seeking out for very specific conditions. So you'd also probably know you know, whether or not they're safe during pregnancy or it'd be something you looked into. Red clover is one that a lot of women use to try to balance uh, infertility issues. So it would be something you definitely want to stop when you found out that you are pregnant, but it is useful up until that point, you know, and then after, you know, it has its purposes there, but it's an estrogenic, a phytoestrogenic herb. So it can upset the balance of hormones that's going on with the body. And uh, I generally hold a philosophy of, of let things be. I mean, unless it's really indicated, just let the body do what it does and focus more on the nourishment aspect of it. But um, sometimes we need help. Mm -hmm. And then with the nourishment is back to what we talked about of, you know, nettle, red raspberry leaf tea, chamomile, rose hips, mm -hmm. oat straws. I don't think I've ever heard oat straws before either. <laughs> and, and peppermint in small doses. Right. And with anybody else, but especially with pregnant women, a general focus and a lot of things, symptoms can be cleared up by focusing on supporting the liver, supporting the nervous system and nourishment, you know, so even dietary changes and changes in your routine can happen with that. And then if there's exacerbating symptoms or, or things that are persistent, then we delve in closer and focusing more on that. Mm -hmm. Is there specific ways to support the liver and support the immune system other than what you already mentioned? Yes. <laughs> yes. Look into milk thistle. <laughs> milk thistles, uh, it's the best liver support that at least I've found in all of my, from all my teachers. And I don't believe it's contraindicated during pregnancy. I haven't found anything like that. And dandelion. Dandelion during pregnancy is amazing because it too, if you can use the whole plant, you can use the leaves in your salad or cook them up, you know, make a little like egg souffle out of them. They're delicious, a little bit bitter. Um, you can also use the root and um, make syrups out of that. It's, a, it's an amazing liver support, which also helps with constipation, which is another thing we experience a lot in pregnancy because it stimulates the digestive system and keeps things going. So dandelion is your friend, especially, you know, if you're pregnant at springtime, which is a great time to be pregnant. <laughs> mm. You could go out yeah, and harvest what you want. It's so funny because some people just work so hard to get them out of their yard and then plant them actually in their gardens, <laughs> but they're all right there, ready and available for you. And that's the kind of medicine I like is to be able to go outside and find something that's going to benefit you. Now, here's this is this is an interesting connecting the dots that I just had. So you mentioned that you want to stay away from stuff that are laxative and stimulating, which would be 
you know, something that red clover does. But we do have constipation during pregnancy. So in that case, it's interesting to draw the difference between something that helps constipation and something that is laxative. Let's talk about that a little more. Right. Well, there's different types of laxatives, too. There's a stimulating laxative that, you know, basically kind of irritates the bowel and gets it to let loose. And then there's um, there's like bulk laxatives that bring bulk and water into the bowel in order to push things through. Right. And then there's digestive aids like dandelion that increase liver bile and help to um, get the digestive system functioning more or higher or hotter, however you want to put that. So, yeah, so there's different, different types of laxatives. There's also a lot of other things you can try if you're constipated before you try herbs. So like walking, you know, getting plenty of exercise. And again, we have some cultural issues here with how we live our lives. You know, a lot of our jobs require us to be sedentary for a while and uh, like most of the day. And um, also what we're fed is foods that don't necessarily help digestion. So again, going back to that, you know, if we were just eating, you know, from nature, we would probably already have dandelion as a part of our diet, right? So that wouldn't even be something we need to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely wanted to focus a bit on that, on the constipation issue, because that is a common symptom that a lot of people experience when pregnant. So making sure they're hydrated, walking, even doing some like shaking the apple tree (laughs) movements of just shaking that bottom. (laughs) Right. And then if you need a little more help, go for bulk laxatives like flax or psyllium seed. Um, You could also find recipes to make a dandelion root and yellow dot syrup that will help to move things along. And also those would be really high in iron. So you'll get a double whammy with that one. (laughs) And it'll help you. That was dandelion root and what? Yellow dock. They're both extremely bitter. So yellow dock root is another thing you'd find on a walk in these parts. It's pretty common. Cool. Cool. So things to avoid laxative wise are like aloe and cascara and buckthorn. Definitely castor oil. Don't drink castor oil when you're pregnant. Um, But I think we know that. Um, but they all act as like, a, you know, the stimulating the bowel. And if you stimulate the bowel, you're going to stimulate everything in that area. But see, I didn't know aloe was something you wanted to stay away from. Ingesting it. Yeah. But topically, it's probably fine, right? Right. Different, different applications. It's, it's not going to stimulate your bowels from your skin. Right. Yeah. But like the aloe, that's something that back to my Nana, whenever there's like, you have a sore throat or feel a cold coming on or just really the really cold throat discomfort i make an aloe tea yeah and you can handle bitters more than anybody else aloe is very bitter i think that brings up another thing too it's like if you're in question of like so you think this, this everybody's told you every source you've read has said this herb is safe but you touch a little bit to your tongue and your body says eh, i don't think so just trust yourself don't do it you know an aloe for me would be one of those things like And when I was pregnant, I wouldn't be able to eat that or make a tea out of it, you know. So there's there's that element of intuition that goes into things along with your very thorough research. Yes. You got to put that out there. Yes. And and even better, contact a certified herbalist to like (laughs) guide you through this or take you on walks for foraging. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I want to, can I touch a little bit on certifi- certified herbalist in our, in our country anyway? Would that be okay to spend a minute? Yes. Tell me about certification, uh, herbalist certification in our, I guess, in our country, you said? Yes. And, you know, there's other countries like uh, Australia that have a, an actual herbal program or certification um, for herbalists. So unless in our country somebody has a degree in Chinese medicine and acupuncture or Ayurveda, then your herbalists are going to be either self-taught or have gone through many certification programs. So it doesn't necessarily make you a certified herbalist. It just means that you got a certificate from learning from these people over here and another certificate from learning from these people over here. But like the term certified herbalists, I think is a little deceptive. And I just wanted to touch on that. In the United States, there's the American Herbalist Guild that gives guidelines for what an herbalist should have learned at a certain point in order to practice such and such. But there is no like set course of study that an herbalist would be deemed, you know, a certified or have a degree in herbalism. Yes, that's an important distinction. And also, like we say with any podcast that I do that relates to anything that you might ingest, make sure you also include your care provider in the conversation. Yes, please. Please do that. And and it would be great to just continue to get them involved in these types of conversations, <laughs> you know, so that we can maybe possibly work together and build confidence in each other, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of benefit on both sides. Indeed. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. 
This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. So we talked about red raspberry leaf tea, and that's something that comes up a lot. And people, you know, if you Google red raspberry leaf tea and pregnancy, you're going to get tons of articles talking about using it for natural induction. Don't do it in the first, you know, don't have it at all during pregnancy. It's going to bring in contractions. It's really good if you use it during your whole pregnancy. There are conflicting points of view there. What do you think people should know about red raspberry leaf tea? Um, To start, I used red raspberry leaf before, during, and after my pregnancy without a break. You know, that's me. And, and I am, you know, instead of, again, referring to myself as a certified herbalist, I am an herbal educator, you know, so I'll give you that piece of information. I'll also give you the information that a lot of the fear that surrounds red raspberry leaf is another one of those studies back in 1954, where they uh, applied isolated compounds to uterine tissue of guinea pigs and frogs. And some had major relaxation effects and some some serious contractive effects. And so this is where the warning about red raspberry leaf during pregnancy comes from. Now, again, it's one of those plants that you probably couldn't drink that much tea in order to get those amounts of those compounds that are going to affect you um, in that way during pregnancy. But that being said, if you're prone to miscarriage, if you're concerned at all, if you you know, don't want to take any chances, just avoid it during your first trimester. There's enough time to build up your uterus with it and have it be effective if you want to start in your second and third trimester. Some women don't even start it till 32 weeks. Um, but it is an amazing plan. Women have been using for centuries. Um, it's a uterine tonic. It can improve labor outcomes. It can reduce the need for intervention and the chances of hemorrhaging. Um, you could just do one to three cups a day of tea. So a tea is a nice light way to get it into your body. And uh, so it also has this fragrine, which is a, a, an alkaloid, which tones uh, the reproductive organs. So it has a very specific purpose with the uterus and the reproductive organs that many other plants don't. And it also has iron and niacin manganese, calcium, potassium, phosphorus, and vitamins B, C, and E. So you've got a a whole world of benefit from using it. And you had a podcast with a nutritionist that, you know, weighed these benefits to consequences using food. And it's the same with herbs. Like, you know, do we want to, out of fear, not use red raspberry leaf because, you know, somebody told us it could cause miscarriage or, you know, are we going to 
relax about it and, and know, you know, just maybe second or third trimester, accept it as this wonderful thing that can give us a lot of the nutrients and other benefits that we need, like the toning of the uterus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll link to the, on the show notes to that episode that was with Lily Nichols on pregnancy and nutrition. Right. Of course, this makes me think that red raspberry leaf teas would be highly recommended for everybody during postpartum when your uterus has gone through that enormous stretch and then you're, you know, wanting to tone everything back up. Right. Absolutely. And what a smart thing, too, that it includes all these things you need to help make milk, you know. So there's that aspect of it, too. Great postpartum herb. And I do want to talk more about postpartum stuff. But before we jump into that. One last thing related, I guess two things related to, to pregnancy. Um, GBS, right? Yes. Yes. GBS. Oh my God. So in the U S the approach to GBS is that every single person who's pregnant gets tested for it. And if you are positive, then the treatment is to have antibiotics prophylactically during labor. Right. Which is great to target the GBS and minimize the risk of baby getting an infection. However, it also harms your microbiome and your baby's microbiome, which uh, there's so much importance to that microbiome and seeding it at the moment of birth. So once you're GBS positive, you most likely are going to get antibiotics. Is there anything that can be done to minimize your GBS colonization to prevent it? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are things. And also, because I've had some clients that like, I test positive for GBS. Am I dirty? And I really want to emphasize that you are not. It is a regularly occurring organism that lives in our intestinal tract and can colonize in the, in the vagina. And it comes and goes. So you could test positive for GBS one week. And then a few weeks later, without doing anything, test negative. There's nothing inherent wrong with you. So it's a group B strep or streptococcus agalactae. It comes and goes. It's found in 15 to 30% of women. They culture positive for it. Um, most healthy babies colonize the bacteria and only 1% to 2% would develop the infection. So, But there are still like 1,600 cases and 80 deaths a year despite the use of prophylactic antibiotics. So you would want to do something anyway, not just to avoid the antibiotics, but maybe you want to take that extra step. You know, antibiotics do change the trajectory of our health and we want to avoid them. But if it can reduce your risk of your baby dying, that one baby is 100% when it's yours, right? So I don't advocate for the use of antibiotics, but I do think they have their place and I understand I do understand the medical approach. It's a very, very small percentage of babies that will develop an, an infection, but when it's yours, it's everything, right? Right. So there's that. Um, but you can find probiotic suppositories. You can take an oral probiotic that will help you. I My rule of thumb is to find a good refrigerated one that has lactobilicus in it. Um, there's a couple different strands and those are specific to vaginal health and, and balancing out the flora in the vagina. And fermented foods are a good way to get probiotics, eliminating sugar and junk food. So again, we have these lifestyle changes <laughs> um, that we need to make. I think it's important to note also that like the environment that promotes groupie strep colonization is the same kind of environment that 
is loved by Candida. Uh-huh. So that's the reducing sugar and junk food. Yeah, exactly. So going back to that point that you made of by lessening those foods, you are lessening both the candida that can cause yeast infections and thrush. And <laughs> right. And creating the environment that you want, that you want for yourself and that you want for your baby internally and externally, you know, and the back to the nourishment part of it too. And, and the prevention, instead of like attacking an organism that has been on our planet for billions of years, <laughs> you know, cause these bacteria, they are our building blocks instead, like create and host what you want to be there using a good probiotic or for, you know, eating the right things and, you know, using the nourishment aspect of it instead of the battling one, but mm-hmm. there are options. And if you do test GBS positive and because once you test GBS positive, if you are being treated in the hospital, even if they tested you again, they're going to treat you as though you are positive. So like, they're going to require you to use antibiotics, but you can still go that extra mile, right? To ensure that your baby doesn't get a GBS infection by treating yourself with herbs. There are also secondary GBS infections that are beyond your control, and I want to put that out there too, that you know, like 45% of this hospital staff have it on their skin somewhere, right? So we're, we are in constant exposure to it. It's just kind of how it is, but you can take these extra precautions. Absolutely. And I will link in the show notes also, Evidence-Based Birth has a thing about GBS and, and the, the effects on the microbiome. And I find it from a person who had GBS and took the antibiotics at the time, and because this was like so many gazillion years ago, um, I did, we did not know about microbiome that much, so I didn't take any probiotics. Did you say millions of years ago? I said gazillions. Gazillions. Oh, that's a lot better. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In pregnancy terms, it's gazillions. It's like dog it years. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, that it was encouraging to me to read about the studies that they've done that if you are otherwise like exclusively breastfeeding and doing being proactive about other ways to improve the microbiome of your child and because usually the penicillin used for GBS treatment is is a narrower spectrum they found that after about a year the kids their microbiomes kind of leveled out so for people who get really, really scared and go like, I'm ruining my baby's health for life. Well, you're not. Right. And you can do probiotics for your baby too. Once they come out, you can, there's a probiotic infant powder you can put on your nipples while you're nursing. And uh, that will help to rebalance and reestablish gut flora. There's other ways too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go and research. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Please, please do your research. <laughs> and I did want to make sure we mentioned nausea commonly. Uh, uh, not commonly. <laughs> mentioned nausea because it's such a big thing that happens common to most thing. people. Yeah, common thing during that first trimester. Do you have like quick thoughts on nausea and how to m- minimize it? Quick thoughts on nausea. Avoid triggers. Eat small amounts lots of times a day. Explore acupuncture and hypnosis. If you want to use herbs, ginger root, there's a lot of studies done with ginger root. It's one of those that there's actual studies on, but up to one gram a day. Beyond that, it may have an amenagogic or abortifacia effect. So, you know, but 
it is safe within that limit. So up to one gram a day, you can use powder or get crystallized ginger. Um, lemon, I found lemon is amazing. And it, if we consider lemon an herb, it does a lot of really cool things, the plant, but even smelling it can help with nausea, if not tasting it or putting it in your water and sipping on that, you know, sip your water, don't down it. Um, small amounts of peppermint tea, just sipping on the peppermint tea can help or smelling the peppermint essential oil, right? You don't necessarily want to put the essential oil on you. So put it on a cotton ball and put it in a little jar and then just carry that around with you and sniff it whenever you start feeling nauseated. And again, back to dandelion. The dandelion root is a tea or a tincture can help your digestive system kind of settle and do, you know, come into balance and do the right thing. So that can help with it too. So you could do any combination of those. Lemon ginger is really yummy. Yeah. If you don't like the taste of dandelion, put a little bit of lemon in there. That's nice too. I had somebody on the podcast at one point recommend that. that I'm glad you brought up a lemon because they were like, carry a lemon in your yes. in your bag and just smell it as you go. That's saved my life my first pregnancy and then also just like eat what you can especially at first trimester if you can't stomach much you know try but like please just eat what you can in, in small amounts if it's chocolate cake then take a bite of chocolate cake mm. <laughs> <laughs> on that note let's move on to postpartum um, chocolate cake <laughs> chocolate, exactly that's my herb for postpartum <laughs> yeah. So postpartum, what are, we talked about red raspberry leaf tea. What are some other things that are, are good to do? Continue with the, everybody needs this tea. <laughs> do the nettle. Nettle, instead of it being a galactagon, it's a nutritive. It has all the things, you know, the alphabet soup of vitamins. It's got all the stuff you need. And so it will help to increase your milk supply, right? It'll also make you feel better because you're nourished. Right. So it, and as an effusion, it keeps you hydrated, which you need to do when you're nursing. I think, you know, teas and postpartum depression can go hand in hand. And as a community, we can help with this. And this is my little soapbox. Right. So if you're a woman or a person, but women need each other and, you know, a mama that's just had a baby or that's nursing go make some tea and sit with them and have tea with them and include in their tea things that will um, help their mood. Like St. John's wort in small amounts is fine while you're nursing. Lemon balm. Lemon balm is a great mood lifter and it's a nervine. So it'll help to soothe a new mama. It's so stressful in postpartum, right? To have this new life and things you need to, all these new responsibilities and there's no handbook and, you know, where's my tribe? So like, Becoming a tribe and plants can help us come together as a tribe and do these little rituals like making tea for each other and sharing it and sitting there. And then healing the perineum. You know, we have these topical herbs and I, I also make a postpartum herbal bath and it contains comfrey, which is a vulnerary, which helps heal the skin and a demulcent. So it would soothe any irritated or inflamed tissues. The uva ursi I put in there, uh, a lot of people use it for UTIs, and I put it in there as urinary antiseptic and astringent. Calendula, I had my teachers at Heartstone, they had a phrase that when in doubt, calendula, it's like everything. It has antifungal, antibacterial, antimicrobial properties, as, as well as being soothing and nutritious. You know, it has all the things. So 
And it's a beautiful flower. I think it's just a lovely plant to have a relationship with. Then you have yarrow, which is also an antiseptic. And shepherd's purse is in it, which helps to close down blood vessels to help reduce any bleeding. So these postpartum herb baths are not necessarily just for your perineum and healing up any tears, but also for getting in the bathtub and letting the medicine get in through your skin. It helps to shut things down. And the shepherd's purse will help any bleeding in the uterus to start to slow down as well. And then oat straw, which <laughs> I mentioned before. And a lot of these are just, they're just common things and they're just really simple. And the oat straw helps to soothe the nervous system, which is, I can't emphasize that enough. Have I emphasized it enough during this podcast? Take a breath. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> You're so excited with this. Though. Um, <laughs> And I, I and back to the ritual, the fact that it's an herbal bath. So mm-hmm. you make a big pot of like walk us through what you do to prepare this herbal bath. Like if you're using it, not you making it, but a pregnant person or a postpartum person that's going to use it. Right. So you can make your own or you can uh, contact me. I'd be happy to mail them. So it comes in a little muslin bag. You can get your own muslin bag. And I put a little bit of kosher salt in there too, which helps for, you know, reduce the chances of infection. And then you would make, uh, please don't boil your herbs. All these aerial parts of the plant are very delicate. So you boil your water first. You can do, you know, three or four quarts even and throw this big bag of herbs in there and cover it. Covering your infusions is very important. Because a lot of your volatile oils, the medicinal parts of the plant, will escape through steam. So you cover it and you let it sit for uh, 30 minutes to a couple hours even. And it can sit there longer. If you're not ready to use it, you can refrigerate it um, until right after the birth. You can freeze some of it, right? So once this infusion is made, you can make compresses, cold compresses, which I know that there's some... Uh, conflict of ideas about putting cold on the yoni after birth or, or anytime anyway, but some women like to have an ice pack. <laughs> so you can take this infusion and put it on some all natural organic pads, please, because there's a lot of chemicals found in feminine products. And uh, you can put those in your freezer. You can lay them on a cookie sheet and put them in the freezer and let them freeze up and then um, when you're ready to use them, let them thaw a little bit and even put a barrier there before you put them on your your labia and your perineum. And then you can also take this infusion and pour it into the bathtub and mama and baby can get into the bathtub and, and the herbs in it will help to soothe and comfort the mama and baby and also help to shut things down, which is a nice ritual. Like we were talking about, we were talking about rituals. That's a really beautiful ritual in and of itself. So that's the the postpartum herb bath in a nutshell. Yay. Um, yay. And baths are important. They're just as important as tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole, like another hour long conversation. Another hour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say like, if you want to be selfish, get in the t- bath by yourself. You don't have to get in there with your baby. If you're feeling a little touched out and just want that ah, calm, or if it's really nurturing to you to do it with your baby, then do it with your baby. Like whatever feels good to you. Right. But it's safe with baby. But absolutely. Right. If you just need a minute, because goodness, you just did something big. Please take that time for yourself. Of course. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Awesomeness. Mm -hmm. So is there something we're forgetting for postpartum that would be helpful? Something you need to stay away from during postpartum also? 
Well, you know, the same is true for postpartum. There's herbs that you wouldn't want to use. And, you know, we would also, we had talked about galactagogues briefly and why they might not be a good idea. So wait a second, galactagogues, let's define what the term is. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times, but yeah. Galactagogues are herbs that are going to increase your milk supply. Um, Some of them stimulate the letdown reflex and some of them just build up milk supply. But galactagogues themselves, the ones that stimulate the letdown reflex can become, you can form a dependency on them and over time they won't be as effective. So certainly after you've tried nourishment with the nettle and the raspberry leaf, after you've tried these things and diet, proper diet and lots of fluids, then if you still need some help, some fenugreek or fennel seed, I just would chew a little bit of fennel seed every once in a while and it would help, but it's not something to use all the time because of the dependency. I think that uh, you can't, don't want to rely on it. And really the best way to get your milk going is to nurse your baby often. Yeah. Have those stimulate that response signal through the actual baby lactating. Yeah. Latching on. And it's funny because every time, I mean, my goodness, every time I talk about lactation and Latin, like we're talking about this, my nipples are tingling. (laughs) Right. And it's been a gazillion years since then. (laughs) Gazillion. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I love it. Nourish first, hydrate, put baby to the breast a lot, lots of skin to skin. And then if you're still needing extra help, go to the additional things like chewing on some fennel seeds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the, the things, you know, the tea, the, the food grade stuff that could be a part of your daily life, like nettle are going to help you with that. You know, raspberry leaf is probably going to help you with that. Avoid sage, you know, that might dry things up a bit. And there are a list of herbs that are not good for postpartum for nursing that you might not want your baby to ingest. But that's, uh, I did not write that list, but you can find it easily. And if you happen to have a link that you want to send to me, I'll put it on the show notes. Okay, I can do that. Awesome. And we're almost out of time, but there was one thing that we were like, should we talk about this? Should we not talk about this? But let's do it. Let's briefly talk about inductions. Okay, we will briefly talk about inductions. And what I really want to say about inductions from the beginning is why do we feel we need to find ways to induce a process that the body is naturally designed to do. Now, that being said, in our culture, we have a a lot of situations and it happens very frequently where we want to try to get things going in in order to either avoid a medical induction or um, it's a mama's right if she's really uncomfortable or something's going on with baby. You know, there are circumstances where it's a, a better alternative or even necessary. Right. So, and, and, and yeah, we all know that there's these artificial constraints that are being put on how long you can be pregnant. And that's unfortunately a reality you have to navigate and can be really stressful if you're looking at an induction date of next Thursday. And then that anxiety is not going to help you go into labor. Right. Exactly. You need to relax. <laughs> we need to be able to relax to have successful labors. And even enjoyable, you know, experiences, the pressure takes a lot of what could be very joyful out of what we're experiencing and doesn't allow us to be fully present. So, you know, I think a very patient approach to an an herbal or natural induction methods is more proper. Although 
um, women for centuries and midwives forever have been exploring and, and recommending castor oil. That seems to be the one thing that people swear by the most. However, in, in my experience, I, I've seen it go both ways, but I've also seen it be very uncomfortable and very messy too. So it's not my first go-to. I think sex, lots of sex is <laughs> my first recommendation to get things going. And, and also acupuncture would be another way. But to get things going from the ground zero, herbally after, you know, if you want to try some things, you want some herbs that stimulate oxytocin to get your uterus contracting, but also herbs that support the relaxation of the uterus. And red raspberry leaf tea, there's an age-old recipe of making a very, very long infusion that does both of this, right? So you drink, you know, like a really strong cup of red raspberry leaf a couple times. And a lot of women swear by that. What would a very strong infusion look like? Oh, gosh. So a, a, a normal infusion is one teaspoon of dried herb to eight ounces of water. So a really strong quadruple the herbs and drink that, you know, so four teaspoons of dried herb to eight ounces of water. Does that help? Yeah. 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 And I'm wondering if you're doing, if you're doing leaves themselves, so not dried, how would the regular normal infusion What's the if you're doing for a fresh an, plant? Yeah, fresh plant. Oh, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> I just cram. If I'm using a fresh plant of anything, I just kind of cram the jar full of it <laughs> and add. I wish this is my Italian upbringing. You just shove it all in there and pour hot water over it. Uh, it's not very professional, but it, it is because the fresh plant already holds so much water. And also, I mean, there's benefits to using a dried plant, but if you, all you have is fresh, then just load up your jar as you know full as you can get it and pour in water and again cover your infusions and let them sit for you know 30 minutes to a couple hours but the dried plant also breaks up the cell walls and allows more of the plant to be exposed to the water and, and the water can more easily extract the medicine so you know either way but fresh plants are beautiful and amazing and have their own things that have gotten lost in the drying process so mm -hmm. there's ups and downs to both Yep. And I think that I, I want to say too, with if you want to try castor oil, try it in a pack. A castor oil pack is when you would take a, like a flannel cloth and, and soak it in castor oil and you put that on you know, where your uterus would be or wherever you're experiencing discomfort and then put a plastic bag over that and then apply a warm, not too hot, right? Because you don't want it, anything too hot next to your baby's head. And let that just soak in and you could, this could be a few day process. So instead of being in a hurry, just really relax and coax your baby out and do some of these things. And the castor oil can get in through the skin. And I think that's a lot easier way for a body to handle if you wanted to try that route. And then in conjunction with a cotton root tincture, which will stimulate oxytocin production in the body. And cause start causing the uterus to contract, and and there's been a lot of success with the combination of cotton root and the ingestion of castor oil. But I I would like to say that I think it's possible if give yourself more time to do the packs, the castor oil packs, and see how that works for you first. One thing I think I would oh, do you want to say something? Yeah, no, I was gonna just say that the the unpredictability and possible violence of just doing the castor oil. It's one of those things that, you know, you took it and it could go both ways. 
and it can make you really miserable and act really quick and just actually just make your uterus cranky. So it's contracting, but that doesn't mean that necessarily it's effective contractions for labor, but it could also just hit labor and have it go. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to qualify. Right, exactly. And it's also, it's not uh, oxytocin. It's a stimulating laxative. And it, it does that because there's toxins in it that stimulate the bowel and make you want to get it out. Right. So that's why it starts to make your uterine tract and stimulate the uterus because it's just trying, body's trying to purge, which is a, it's an interesting place to be when you're trying to bring life into the world, you know? And like you said, it can go either way. Some people swear by it, you know, would never do anything different. And others wish they would have never touched it. And I think I, I want to mention one herb that women have used for a very long time, but that has had some pretty serious consequences regarding induction. It's blue cohosh. It can um, it manifest if you use too much of it as like a nicotine uh, poisoning. And so we start to see cardiac issues with mama and baby. And so it's a very, it's not a safe way to go unless you're being monitored by a doctor or midwife that's willing to, you know, monitor you and baby's heart during that time. So there've been incidences of, of mamas trying to self-induce using blue cohosh and um, the amounts that you'd have to use to get labor going really require you to be monitored. So please take that into consideration. Yeah. And I think that warrants the mentioning again that herbs can be powerful medicine. So mm -hmm. have the reverence and respect for them and research <laughs> um, and figure out how they communicate with you. What effects a certain plant has in your body? That requires some communication. It requires some exploration. It requires a partnership. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. The respect and reverence. That's a good way. Good words to use. Absolutely. Mm. Kathleen, thank you so, so much for doing this today. It's always lovely to talk to you. I always love talking to you too, and I really appreciate it. It was fun. New experience. That was professional childbirth consultant, family advocate, innate postpartum care provider, herbal educator, and all-around community witch, Kathleen Mignolo. Kathleen was kind enough to provide a couple of handouts for our listeners. The first one lists what herbs to avoid during lactation, which ones increase milk supply, and which ones will decrease it. And the other handout is a list of her favorite places where she sources her herbs. You can find them both in the show notes for this episode at birthful.com. You can learn more about Kathleen on Instagram at Kathleen.Magnolo, and Magnolo is spelled M-U-G-N-O-L-O. And you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. In fact, if you are not driving, Kathleen and I would love it if you take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram, sharing your biggest takeaway from our talk or maybe giving your favorite herb a shout out. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. Thank you so very much for listening to Ensuring Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Good Pods, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. And then come back for more ways to inform your intuition.
Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know. 